You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast. Where we unpack what is new and innovative in education. I'm your host, Caroline, and today we're talking with Elisa Villanueva Beard. Imagine following one of the most recognizable CEOs in the world and taking on an organization that was shrinking and facing political and financial pressure. Elisa did just that in 2013, following Wendy Kopp as CEO of Teach for America. She cut 40% from the central budget and rejuvenated the organization, ensuring that all 51 TFA programs are connected to their local community. Today, more than 7,000 members reach more than 400,000 students in 2,500 schools across America. Of the 53,000 alumni, 85% work in education or careers serving low-income communities. That includes over 1,200 school leaders, 400 school system leaders, 500 policy and advocacy leaders, and 200 social entrepreneurs. It's an amazing legacy of leadership. For Lisa, it started by responding to the opportunity to teach in Phoenix in 1998. Let's listen in as she talks to Tom about her unique journey. Elisa Villanueva Beard, welcome to the Getting Smart Podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. Great to be here. How did you make your way to Bethune Elementary in Phoenix? Yeah, so I found Bethune um, through Teach for America. I was a 1998 Phoenix Corps member, and um, I was placed in Phoenix. I just graduated from college at DePaul University in Greencastle, Indiana. Yeah. Right outside of uh, Indianapolis, right? That's right. About 45 minutes southwest of Indianapolis. Had you, had you ever had you been to Phoenix before? I hadn't. No, um, I knew I wanted to go to a, a warm place. I was grateful that uh, Teach for America placed me in Phoenix, and I ended up teaching there for three years before joining staff at Teach for America. Some, um, the minority, but a, a few core members leave after their service. Why did you stay and? And then why did you go on to take on a, a leadership role in the in a Rio Grande Valley? Yeah. So, um, you know, what's interesting is that we've, we've, we've had this little slogan that was like, it was never about two years, you know, it's technically yeah. a two year commitment, but what we find is, you know, we've been around for 28 years and of our 53,000 alums, you know, 85% of our folks, you know, never intended of com- coming into education, really thought this was about two years. Um, but you meet your students and your families and, you know, the, the humanity of the experience, the impact that you have, and then you understand, you know, the, the just all the challenges our kids are up against. And you realize that you need to be part of, you know, the many people working on this problem. And, um, and so 85% on the folks on the back end end up committing their lives to either working in education or have a career serving low income community somehow, which is pretty incredible. Um, so for me, I, it was sort of the same thing. I, I, I thought it was going to be a two year thing. And, um, and you and I had that experience and ended up teaching a third year. And I realized pretty quickly I wanted to teach a third year. Um, and, and I thought I would end up being a principal because I, I got really fired up about, you know, just what impact principals actually have on entire schools and in, entire families and communities. Um, but there was this opportunity to work for Teach for America, leading the region and the Rio Grande Valley. And I'm from the Rio Grande Valley. So this work is also quite personal to me. I joined the effort because of my own personal experiences. And um, and so to have the opportunity to be able to work for Teach for America in the Rio Grande Valley, 
um, was sort of, you know, the opportunity of a lifetime for me. I was looking to get back home and, you know, I deeply believe it. Like I understand the problem of educational inequity is so complex, but um, I really believe you know, you really can't get going with anything without incredible, diverse leadership that is grounded and sort of has this dip, deep belief for kids, which is, you know, the force of people we bring into the effort. And so that's what took me to the Rio Grande Valley. And um, it was one of the best experiences and best jobs I've had. What's the bargain that Teach for America offers to, to college students today? Well, you know, we are saying to folks, um, you, you know, there's so many problems in our country and the world, you know, that folks are getting their arms around. Um, and we try to get people to see that, you know, in order to actually have real impact, meaningful impact, I mean, we believe at TFA, it's going to take systemic change, you know, to tackle education and really so many of these big problems. Um, and, 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 you know, education is ground zero to solving so many problems. Um, and so we say to folks, you know, get proximate to the issue, like go have a, a like an incredible, meaningful impact, um, which a lot of kids, you know, a lot of young people in this generation are looking to just have, you know, a real impact or very justice oriented. Um, and we get people to see that there's no greater impact than getting into a classroom where you can have, you know, demonstrable impact with children who really need great teachers um, and need people who are going to be all in for them. Um, and it is through that that you, you know, have an immediate impact on kids' lives, but also you start to see and understand how a system works. You get to understand, like, you know, all of the challenges that really do play out in the classroom, all the inequities a kid is up against, you see whether it's, you know, lack of access to proper housing or, you know, they're hungry, healthcare. I mean, all of it plays out in the classroom. And then you get to see just how systems work. A teacher's part of a school and a school is part of a broader system. And, you know, we start to help people make these connections to figure out how can I best contribute and what what is my theory on on you know what what change and so you you get to have impact you you join an incredible network of people that's now sixty thousand strong, who are working within schools and outside of schools and within education outside of education to really have um, the kind of impact that is necessary if we're going to get to the day when every kid truly has an equal chance in life and so that's what put folks join uh, when they join us. Uh, I'm curious how you think about the mission of Teach for America now. Is it is it about delivering top talent to needy classrooms, or is it about reinventing teacher prep, or is it about building sector talent, or is it a little bit of all of those? Yeah, you know, it's it's <laughs> one might say it's a combination of all of it, but if you had to pierce through it all, I would say that our contribution is just you know remarkable diverse talent into this effort, um, into the fight for educational equity and excellence for all kids. Um, and it all starts in the classroom, right? So our first promise is to kids. Our first promise is to ensure that they get the kind of education that they deserve. And it is through that um, that you sort of built your capacity and capabilities of understanding um, you know, how systems work and, and, and build your own leadership. You know, what are your strengths? What do you really have to offer? And, and how it's, it sort of unleashes you to, you know, thinking about how you think about your career. Um, and so we've seen our folks, you know, we have 14,000 of our alums have stayed in teaching. Another 2,700 are principals, assistant principals, deans, 500 system leaders, you know, over 200 
um, social entrepreneurs, et cetera, et cetera. And so you you know you have people working in journalism, the justice yeah. system, et cetera. And so that that's sort of our you know what what we provide. Um, and and they're really lifelong advocates and change agents for for this effort. Yeah, I I have to admit I was um, I was sort of late to becoming a, a a fervent TFA supporter. I think it was two thousand two when Jim Shelton showed me the numbers uh, um, of school leaders and uh, policy and philanthropic leaders mm-hmm. and social entrepreneurs. One day he. He took me aside and he said, Tom, look at everyone that we work with. They're all TFA. And it, it really is, um, it's remarkable how the alumni have, have really become an army for good in education and, and as you said, more broadly in, in social change. Yes. Um, there's a, there was a study put out a few years back now that showed that, um, you know, when you look at just CEOs or social entrepreneurs within education, most of that disproportionately, they come from Teach for America than any other group out there. You know, um, folks might think of McKinsey or others, but, you know, TFA has really made that kind of contribution to this, to the field over many years, um, which is, you know, pretty incredible. And it's, it's, it truly has been an honor and a privilege to do it alongside them, our communities and the many others who are in the same effort. So if we go back uh, to that time, you were chief operating officer at TFA for about a dozen years and, and really oversaw the rapid growth of the organization. What, what were the big challenges during those years? After I let the my the region in South Texas for I was our executive director there for four years. Then um, I became our chief operating officer, and it was right when we were launching our second growth plan. And um, you know we had sort of had proof of concept, and there was a growing demand for Teach for America. And we also you know had realized that scale would really matter given you know the scope of the problem and the entrenched nature of it, um, which then put us on this you know this growth trajectory. So when I took over, we were, we had 22 regions and, um, and then you fast forward eight years and we were at 48 regions. And I was responsible for ensuring that, you know, we had the, we were meeting, raising the money, had the programmatic outcomes. And our, our commitment during this time was not only to grow, but to also ensure that we were good, right? To show effectiveness in our effort um, and and particularly in the classroom um, because we wanted to make sure that, you know, we were holding ourselves accountable, that we were doing right by kids, which was our always our, our primary objective. Um, and so I would say as we were, you know, growing, like what are the biggest challenges? I mean, the biggest challenges was that we were trying to do all of that. Um, and we also had some alumni initiatives that were in their nascent stages that we had kicked off that were trying to, you know, accelerate the leadership of our alums. Um, and we were all very young, you know, I mean, I, I, I literally taught for three years. I was leading our, you know, a region and then I became, you know, I, the chief operating officer for this growing organization, um, that became then, you know, <laughs> quite a, quite a budget, lots of staff. Um, by the time we were in 2015, we had grown from a staff of less than a 200 to a staff of, of nearly 2,000 um, and a budget that had grown significantly at, at, as well. Um, and and so um, I think just us working our way to, you know, to, to deliver on this and at TFA, you'll find that often we will ourselves into this, you know, where we just are so determined and relentless and, and a very goal-oriented group of people who are just, you know, who, who 
set a goal and decide we're going to, we're going to go after it. Um, but, you know, on the back end of that sort of, you know, how, how do we ensure that we're keeping the people that need to be here um, that we need because, you know, the burnout rate and all of that. So we just had a huge focus on talent um, and ensuring that we had the right capacity and capability to allow us to pull off what we were pulling off at every level of the system. And really, flying the plane um, while we were building it because we were just we were having to build all of our processes and systems to operate you know at the scale that we were going to and you know concretely we were a network of you know 5,000 and by 2015 we were a network of 50,000 so it grew pretty rapidly um, and then also while ensuring that we're being you know building a culture that is committed to diversity and inclusiveness was a big focus during that this time. And so trying to manage all of that, I mean, the good news is that, you know, we, we did quite well on the, and we're able to overcome the challenges. Um, but you even asking, you know, what were the challenges really takes you back to a time that was um, very challenging, very invigorating all at the same time. And I often have to remind myself that so many organizations set out to even get to this point where they have the, you know, right. proof of concept and have a chance to even scale um, and it, it was, it was quite, quite a ride to be able to get to, to that point and, and now have the kind of impact and, and scale that we get to operate in today. Yeah. And in, in the middle of that period around 2013, you took over as co-CEO. That's right. Following um, a legendary figure, Wendy Kopp. Wendy was not only one of the best known education CEOs, she was really one of the best known um, leaders in America. So that, that must be uh, somewhat challenging to follow somebody like Wendy. You reflect on on that transition to CEO. Yeah, so you know, Wendy is a great friend and mentor, and you know, she she's the reason I became a chief operating officer so early on in my career, and you know, she sort of took bets on me all along the way, um, and so I took on this role. Um, you know, with, with Wendy's great support. And I think what was great about it is that, um, you know, Wendy was so invested in me as a leader and the whole entire transition, um, which I think was, was really important. Um, and, you know, we were in a different phase of our organization. You know, we had been, we with proof of concept, we scaled and we were just at a different point. And my charge was to ensure we were able to, you know, get to the next level of impact or figure out what our next phase of work was. Um, and so I, I would say that, you know, quickly I came to realize Wendy has incredible assets and, you know, I have incredible assets. And so having the ability to bring those synergies and all of it together, um, because Wendy remains on our board, um, which is, which I think is, you know, has been really helpful. Um, and so having that partnership, I think has made, it made the transition early. It made it easier. Um, and, you know, now I've been in this for, as, as our sole CEO for three and a half years. And so I've been able to, you know, build my own board and, you know, sort of make things my own and, and bring my own leadership to it um, with Wendy's great support, which has been, has been great. Yeah, but it, but it's been challenging, right? The, the last three years, four yeah. years, um, you and the organization have gone yes. through some, some difficult changes. You're kind of in a new phase organizationally. How would you reflect on um, you as a, a new CEO having to make some tough choices. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, to your point, Tom, I took over the organization when we were at, at a critical inflection point. And the thing that I have reflected a lot on, so when I took on the role, um, 
you know, our recruitment numbers were on the decline, which is, you know, which is the vitality and relevance of Teach for America. Um, and sort of all of our programmatic measures had, had been on a, on a, you know, a steady decline when, when I took it over. And, um, and there's a lot going on, right? Um, I've, I've, I've learned that, it, you know, any organization goes through these phases and anything that's growing as fast as we were. I mean, we had an 18% compound annual growth rate for 13 years straight, which is, you know, is just pretty incredible. Um, there's always sort of a back end to it. You'll stall out, there'll be a decline or whatever. And then the question is, what do you do when that happens? And so we were in that natural part of an organizational life while also, you know, the economy was improving, which was a, which is an important external factor. It doesn't mean it's an excuse. It's just more of like, you know, that's changing and you need to make sure that you're changing with that and um, able to stay competitive in that. Um, and also the critique of Teach for America had grown, you know, had grown pretty significantly. Um, and, you know, we had people actually even organizing against us on college campuses. And, you know, it had just sort of reached a new level of, um, you know, of, of, of critique um, or like very clear attacks. Um, and so I was having to come in here and, you know, figure out what's the best path forward. And my focus was, of course, to stabilize and, and start, you know, rebuild the foundation. So we were just, you know, strong on a steady path, which um, thankfully we've been able to get to the other side of. It was very hard. I um, had to make some big changes. Um, you know, we've cut about 40% from the central budget ever since, you know, since I took over, not because we were financially in distress, but because strategically, um, you know, we had moved to a strategy of really focusing on our decentralizing our system. So when we were growing as the chief operating officer, we really had a command and control system. We were, you know, managing the heck out of the system from the center. And as we grew to scale, we realized, you know, um, the work is so local and you can't possibly come up with the strategy in the center, right? That instead, the answers are, are are in the communities and what the Mississippi Delta needs and how they approach the work is going to be so different from, you know, the Bay Area or uh, Miami-Dade or whatever. Um, and so with the focus on our regions, we needed a different kind of central support, which was not one that had the answers, but instead one who could, you know, we create creating a learning organization that could really learn what are the best practices and innovations happening in communities that we could then codify and, you know, build a system that could share that um, and really a lot of learning happening in our communities. And we weren't built for that. So we had to adjust ourselves, which meant just, you know, big restructuring um, and then just getting clear on our strategy, which was to, you know, ensure that we were leveraging the scale and diversity of our network to drive learning, innovation and collective leadership and sort of build all of our processes and systems and structure to support that. And so um, a lot of hard, hard, hard days that um, years that we went through. Um, but what was incredible is that um, we have incredible impact. You know, our core members and alumni, their efforts speak for themselves. Um, and so we just focused on our assets and um, had incredible staff that came together and um, knew that it was this was worth fighting for and ensuring that we were strong and focused a lot from the inside out on our, you know, our core members, our alumni and the strength of our staff to be able to get back on track, which um, we have been able to achieve, you know, three and a half years later. Right. And today, do you think about it as a, a national movement or a collection of local initiatives or really a combination of both? 
Yeah, I mean, I think we're part of a broader movement for educational equity and excellence that is, you know, broader than Teach for America, but that, you know, we're part of the group of people who deeply believe every kid deserves, you know, a access to a great education and, and an equitable education. And so we contribute to that. I would say that we are a, a, a network um, that's all connected by a set of a vision and, a, and a, a deep set of values on what we believe. But the, the work happens, you know, locally. And today we have 51 different communities. Um, and so it's a combination of both that has a strong, you know, we are united um, by a, a, a a deep belief and vision of, of our kids. Um, and it plays out locally and looks quite different region to region. You've, you've been in this um, space for, for almost uh, 20 years. How, how do you think about effective teacher preparation and development today? What, what are the key elements of that? Yeah. So for us at Teach for America, what you find that's unique from um, a lot of other teacher preparation programs is we are very focused on, you know, who we let into, into, you know, teaching. Um, and so this last year is an example, you know, or, or I would say the prior year, we don't know what our yield will be officially this year, but, you know, last year we had 47,000 applications and we um, started with a core that was 3,700 strong. Um, and so we're quite rigorous in who we let in and on our selection model is based on, you know, studying our very best teachers who are having the greatest impact with their kids. Um, certainly as we look at student achievement, but just as we see, you know, meaningful impact on kids' lives and, and literally we're trying to see like, you know, who's changing the trajectory of their kids' lives. They're building deep relationships, really getting kids to see a vision for their future and what they want, with, you know, and how to build real agency for themselves. And that's how we select our folks, um, which is quite unique and I think really important. So that's our biggest, I would say, one of our biggest bets in our entire model um, is getting the right people in the door. Um, and then, of course, we have training and support for them. I would say the next, you know, really important thing that we do is we, we never assume that we, you know, are going to make a great teacher in their training program, which is, you know, five to six weeks, depending on where, where you're going. Um, but you get the basics there. And then the big, big, you know, um, play or bet that we make is in supporting our teachers, which is also quite different than how a lot of um, preparation programs work. Like we are feel deep sense of responsibility for ensuring that our teachers um, are improving as quickly as possible and having the intended outcome that we have, um, which is, uh, or that we yearn for, aspire to, which is to, you know, have a positive impact um, for kids in the classroom. And so we do a lot of um, you know, support while they're in the classroom, reflection sessions, professional development, you know, um, access to just various resources uh, so that they are able to jump up that learning curve as quickly as possible and take real responsibility for that. And so um, that selection and that support really matter a lot, at least in, in our model that have led to the success that we've had over time. What would uh, what would you say you've learned about organizational leadership over the last decade? Top two or three things. Yeah, um, the first thing that comes to mind is I just believe so deeply in the power of proximity, um, like getting close to the problem that then allows you to understand it deep, 
more deeply. I mean, I don't know if we, I have more questions than answers today, 21 years into this, but, um, and what I mean by that is like, you know, I watch what happens when a core member who, you know, thought they were going to go to, you know, work at Google or have a, have a desire to be a social entrepreneur or policymaker or whatever it is, um, gets into a classroom, like you sort of intellectually understand the issues and you read a lot and you think you're really grounded, but then you get in it and you, you know, meet students and families who you literally fall in love with. And the humanity of it all is, is quite extraordinary. Um, but then you get the complexities of it. Like, you know, I remember as a core member, I was so frustrated with my principal because I couldn't understand why things that seemed so simple to me, the decisions I would make as a 22 year old, of course, you know, would be, why doesn't he just do X, Y, and Z? And of course I, I wasn't understanding the pressures he has and like what system he was a part of that was leading to this. And then, oh, what's a school board and what decisions do they make? And the superintendent, how does all this work? And and you start to just more deeply understand, A, how issues play out in in for students in real life and um, and then what it takes to change that. Like it's just so complex and you start to realize, oh, there's all these interconnected pieces and you know, and I, I often observe people will take on like, here's the answer to this problem, but lacks sort of all of the nuance and complexity of, you know, how the system all comes together and then what impact that will ultimately make. And I think sometimes we sort of, you know, lack that perspective that then leads to all sorts of unintended consequences or inability to see the full picture how things play out. And so um, I've just learned a lot about the power of proximity, even when I'm making decisions, like just, you know, getting right in the middle of it to deeply understand it. And there's something about just doing that, that I think is, is so transformational um, for for how we see things, for how we do things, um, and really our, our worldview, um, which I think has been one of the most powerful contributions for us. Um, I mean, then the, the second thing I would say is like sticking with something over time, as simple as that sounds, but as hard as it is to do. Um, I've been with the organization on staff for It'll be 18 years this summer. Um, and so I joined it when we were still trying to prove that this was a concept worthy of attention or worthy of pursuing. Um, and then I was deep in it when we were scaling it. Um, and then I have been part of it as we had to, you know, had a decline and had to recover. Um, and there's just something about, you know, believing so deeply in something and being able to really walk through all the seasons of, of it with it um, and be able to overcome that and, and test sort of your own, your own leadership and skills and the things you have to, you know, develop over time, the different people you have to surround yourself with and the, the consciousness or self-awareness of understanding all of that has been pretty profound for me. And I think it's easy to be part of something when it's, you know, hot and the thing to do. Um, and it's something different. Like, how do you work through deep challenges that that really, you know, um, require so much centering and digging deep to figure out what the right answers are? Um, and it, there's something profound about that. And I feel personally very grateful that I've been able to sort of walk through those seasons in, in, with Teach for America in various roles. I've had the opportunity to meet a dozen of your regional leaders on um, field trips in the last couple of years, and they're really 
an extraordinary group of people. What, what kind of talents and uh, dispositions do you look for in those regional leaders? Yeah, so I would say we do have an extraordinary group of regional leaders, and um, I sort of consider them an extension of me. They're like, you know, the CEOs for their their communities um, representing TFA and bringing it to life. And so, you know, we look for folks who, first of all, are, you know, have our, our values aligned and just have a deep belief in, you know, and what we believe, which is our children and that this problem is solvable and that, you know, we have to be sort of unapologetically um, working to figure out what it's going to take to make the most progress and, and you know, and boldly thinking about our contribution to that. Um, and so you often find in these folks a deep, you know, just groundedness um, and belief in the possibility and are able to offer that inspiration. But also, I would say, you know, have had vast experiences um, leading various, you know, things and are able to bring a sophistication and understanding of how systems change um, and, you know, how, how to influence that conversation in a given community um, and are able to, to really uh, build broad and diverse coalitions to be part of the effort, um, really understand how the power of, um, you know, having people with different viewpoints and just working across all lines of difference to bring folks together on a common mission, which is, you know, ensuring that our children get, are able to live into the American dream and, um, and coalesce people around that, which is so powerful when you're able to watch that happen really at every level. Cause we have to do that with our community, with our partners, our schools, our students, our families, um, our own core members and alumni, but then the broader community of philanthropists and, you know, those that are, um, political officials, et cetera. And our folks are able to do that. And it's just incredible to watch, you know, community by community be brought together in such a way and the role that TFA plays in that. What's next for TFA? Uh, we are in the middle of a big strategy process at the moment. And, you know, we have really stepped back 28 years into this and really looking clear eyed at, you know, our our assets um, and our liabilities, like thinking really broadly, we, we started this kicked off in January and we really opened up the aperture and asked, you know, what is going on in the world and what do we have to be present to in understanding all of the political, economic, social trends in the world and what are the big education trends and, um, and then what does all that mean for Teach for America to thrive in a 21st century global society? Um, and how to really understand this new generation that is graduating from college, you know, iGen. Um, what are their interests? What are their motivations? What are their barriers as they consider what they want to do with their lives? And really assessing, you know, what about Teach for America um, needs to be true for us to be able to continue to thrive. And now that we have these 53,000 alums, are we really utilizing um, that core group to maximize its potential and be able to thrive as a, as a network on its own terms? Um, and so we're answering these these big questions. The, the thing I am sure about is that, um, you know, nobody is doing what we do out in the country at our scale with our efficacy, with our diversity, um, and so we know that we need to continue to, you know, do what we've done for 28 years in terms of the, the what and the why. Um, and we're asking lots of questions about the how at the moment and are excited to share with you when we're clearer on those answers in the next four, four months or so. Um, but we will continue to keep at it and know that this is, you know, the work of a lifetime. Um, 
and continue to energize the the force of leaders that we've brought to, brought into the work and will continue to bring into the work for years to come. We uh, we look forward to learning more. Where can people learn more about uh, the organization? Yeah, if you go to www.teachforamerica.org, you can learn um, all about what we're about, and and you can then get linked into certain you know regions or things of interest um, from our website. Awesome. Elisa Villanueva Beard, we, we really appreciate your work, your life's work. Now it's been 20 years, you've made a huge contribution and uh, you, you're really leading an army of alums who, uh, who are changing the world. So thanks for uh, joining us on the Getting Smart podcast. Thank you so much for your support. Thanks to Elisa for joining us today. For more on teacher preparation, listen to episode 191 with leaders from Northeastern University in episode 188 with Jim Tracy from the Woodrow Wilson Academy of Teaching and Learning at MIT. If you liked today's episode, please rate and review the show. We love getting your feedback. For the Getting Smart Podcast, this is Caroline signing off.